podcast set, but also have it as um, like workspace yeah. or parking space. So I just was like, I'll make something that goes up into the ceiling. Yeah, it works. I like the yeah. counterweight too. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what, could, what would look cool and would be pretty easy. So I wanted to do like a thin one. So it'd oh, be yeah. longer. But this was the first time I'd ever worked with concrete. And I like made it was like an inch thick. And oh, it, yeah. I like opened it and it just fell apart immediately. And I was like, oh, Jesus, that's Did not going to work. It yourself? Yeah. Because yeah. we had a bunch of concrete here from some job that my dad was doing. And I was like, I'll just me- mess around with it, try and figure it out. But that's funny. Yeah. Brendan loves concrete now. He like wants to build like a, a waterfall out of it and stuff with like the wood pressed into it. Oh, yeah. That, uh, it's such a cool look. Yeah. But yeah, so this was <clears throat> just boredom, I suppose. It's all right. Yeah. We all need something to do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, worked with a little bit of concrete at my old house because uh, I'd built a like a back patio cover. Yeah. That I never ended up roofing. But <laughs> a friend of mine, he uh, works for... Bernalillo County fire Mm -hmm. and he does concrete on the side. So, you know, they pour like big slabs and, you know, he does some cool stuff with concrete. Yeah. I'm not that good. I'm like this. Yeah. (laughs) We, we built a couple little boxes and put the, the legs of the, the pergola, you know, in the concrete. Right. And then made a box around it and poured it in there because um, then we were going to stucco the bottom portion of the legs right. to match the house. And yeah. So that was my first experience with concrete. Yeah. It's it's such a cool, um, I guess, medium, I guess you might call it. But it's like I've done a lot of research into like I, I love architecture and I love buildings and all that sort of stuff. And I watch this channel called the B1M on YouTube and they like talk about these things that are being built. And they talked about um, like wood skyscrapers Mm. and how they're doing that now. Because in the process of making lumber, the tree actually consumes like CO2. um, And then it gets solidified in the lumber. So it's actually really green to use lumber because it's pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere. And then it's locked in the lumber. Whereas um, concrete is the opposite. It, it, releases co2 when you create when you create concrete um through the process so it's like they're looking at these different green ways of building and then like the limitations of wood um like how high you could actually build a wood skyscraper um but like that that stuff was i got so interested i like deep dove on that that uh youtube page for like a couple of weeks i like watched everything but That's funny. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like <clears throat> this building stuff and designing stuff is like my side hobby, I suppose. Nice. Yeah. I like to build too. Yeah. I wanted to go to school for engineering, but decided it wasn't really, um, it was too demanding, I guess, for like what I wanted to be doing on the side. Yeah. There was just not enough time for me to do everything that I wanted to do while doing engineering. Yeah. But I almost regret that 
because, and I was the only person that I knew in the engineering classes, which is a lot like a lot of other people when you first go to college, but I was also part of a soccer team. So I was confused. I was like, well, I've got all these friends on the soccer team. And then when I go to engineering class, I like have no friends. All my friends are in like marketing and business. So I was like, I'll just switch to marketing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was never, uh, just pull that in a little bit. I was never a school person. So yeah, it took me a while. Did you go to college? No. No. How did you get into being a police officer? Well, so at the time, um, I guess we're going to start the podcast. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. We'll start now. It's just a conversation. No, it's, it's good. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, weird well not weird um i never had aspirations of being a police officer when i was a kid no no um you know i was a soccer player and um i grew up playing soccer i started when i was five um here in town and um never never knew any police officers, you know, just didn't have much interest in that right. line of work. Never thought about it really. You know, yeah. I always wanted to be a professional soccer player. That was, yeah. <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. Right. Um, but I was small, um, growing up. That was my, um, biggest deficiency was my size. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then I grew up doing other things too. I mean, I was very active, um, as a child. So riding bikes, I BMX raced, um, you know, my first job was at a bicycle shop, um, wrenching on bikes and yeah. selling bikes and stuff. And, uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, and after high school, I, um, went to TVI, which is now CNM um for a couple years uh for graphic design i wanted to be a graphic designer um i got really into art in high school and and drawing and um those sort of things Um, a buddy of mine in high school actually went on to uh, work as an animator for pixar um was one of my good friends in art class you know we became pretty close um but i wasn't the greatest artist Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, um, but I was good with computers, so I could learn those different things fairly quick. And I had an eye for design. So I went to, um, TVI for graphic design and ended up only going for a couple of years. Um, I wasn't much of a school person. I didn't have the drive for it. Yeah. You know, I barely passed high school. And, no, I feel that. You know, I, and it wasn't that I was lazy. I just, I don't know. It just, just wasn't interesting to you. Yeah. It just wasn't interesting to me, yeah. you know. Um, pull that in just a little bit more. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Sorry. You can you can pull it more so you can sit back. And uh, Yeah, there you go. So it just didn't catch my interest. I'd rather be outside. doing things rather than, you know, sitting in a school classroom. And, um, but I was, um, I understood the material. I just didn't apply myself. So lazy, I guess in some ways, but not in other ways. 
And um, so I ended up only doing about two years at TVI. Um, I had moved out of the house when I, out of my parents' house when I was about 18. Um, lived with some friends here and there, um, but paid my way, you know, um, worked at the bicycle shop, like I said, from the time I was about 15 and um, actually up until the, the time that I joined the police department, I still worked there. Um, and then I had worked, um, I'd had a paid internship at a uh, local print shop. So they do like offset printing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, it was just a small family owned shop. Uh, I knew the, the owner's daughter. Um, she was much older than me and she lived a couple houses down from my parents, but we ended up riding bikes together um, and doing some triathlons and stuff together. And so um, she got me in touch with her brother who ran the print shop and um, he gave me a job as one of the graphic designers there in the print shop. Oh, nice. And so um, I did that um, and it was just part-time Um and then I also had uh, worked at Discount Tire. So I was working three jobs and oh, man. going to school and then ended up um, quitting college and, and just working pretty much. Um, you know, and I worked for my own hobbies. So, you know, I bought myself a bike and, you know, paid my way to do triathlons and that sort of stuff, you know, right after high school, you know, growing up BMX racing. And, um, and then I got into mountain bike my mountain biking and, um, and then in high school, I'd swam a little bit, um, played soccer and ran cross country also in high school. Um, so the running aspect, you know, I was pretty good at it. Right. And the biking aspect I was really good at. Um, swimming was probably the, my weakest of the three in the triathlon. Um, but I was a decent swimmer. Um, I just wasn't fast like some of those guys were. Uh-huh. So I had to make it up on the, the bike and the try, uh, bike and the run for races. Right. Um, but that's what I did. I just, I wanted to race and, and do those sort of things. And, um, and then after high school, obviously I didn't play college soccer or anything like that. Um, but I played men's league. Um, so I played premier for a while. Um, and got, um, pretty far in men's league. We'd won, uh, our local season and went to a tournament out. Um, I forget where it was Phoenix, maybe Phoenix or Dallas. I can't remember. We went to a couple, um, but I think it was Phoenix. Um, and they had some scouts out there and, uh, one of the, scouts out there had uh, come up to me after the the game we'd won that tournament and um, he had given me a, an opportunity to come out to the Dallas burn and do a walk on tryout oh, dang. for the Dallas burn, um, which I never took. Oh, really? <laughs> one of, one of my all time life regrets. Why not? You know, I was dating a girl at the time and I didn't want to leave. Um, and obviously that didn't work out. Yeah. So, um, but it was just kind of funny how those things play out, you know, in your life, looking back on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so 
but it gave me the opportunity to do that stuff. And um, when uh, 9-11 happened, I was uh, still working my three jobs and, you know, playing soccer as much as I could and, and running, you know, I did every running race that there was around and triathlon and stuff. And I just, I felt after 9-11 that I needed to do something more. Mm-hmm. You know, I was uh, not quite 21 at the time, September of 01, I was 19 or I'm sorry, 20. Um, I turned uh, 21 that October right after. Um, And my best friend growing up um, had always wanted to be a police officer his whole life. And so uh, I talked to my parents and, and my friend and, um, and I considered going into the military at that time. Um, but with no college or, you know, I wasn't into that lifestyle or anything, you know, I didn't want to just go overseas and, you know, possibly get killed for, you know, um, so, um, and not that there's not a place for guys that enlist real young, but I, I felt that I was destined for something bigger than that. Um, and so um, I decided to, um, I, you know, after weighing the options, I decided to do my service here at home. Um, and with my best friend, you know, wanting to be a cop, we decided to put in and test together. And so um, we did. We put in um, our applications in uh, 2002, uh, beginning sometime in the beginning of the year. Um, I went through the process. Uh, I ended up making it and my best friend didn't. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, um, which, you know, uh, ended up working out for him. He moved to Denver, just outside Denver. He lives in Castle Rock now and, um, and he's a Douglas County Sheriff up in oh. Castle Rock. Um, so he ended up being a, a, a police officer as well, or a sheriff's, uh, deputy, but, um, he was kind of devastated when that happened. Oh, sure. And then, you know, I took the, a while for the background to come through. Um, and I got my acceptance letter, I don't know, October-ish of 02. Um, but the next academy didn't start until February of 03. Um, and so I started the police academy in February of 03, end of February of 03. Um, but nine eleven is was kind of the changing point for me is how or why I decided to to join the department. I wanted to do something bigger and serve um, you know my country or my community um, you know in a way that I felt was um, that would benefit everybody you know i right. didn't want to just go overseas and and ended up dying, right. you know, in a couple of years without any college or anything. And, um, and so yeah, that's kind of how I joined the department. And so like when you decided that you were going to join, did you feel that it was going to be something that you, like you've been doing it for what, 20, 20 years now? Um, 18 years, 18 now. years now. Did you feel then that you were going to be doing it for that long or? Um, I don't know. I, I didn't really think about, 
long term. Yeah, how long I was going to do it for or not, you right. know. Um, coming into the police department, you know, they have a really good um, retirement. So um, at that time, it was a uh, minimum 20-year retirement um, pension. So not like a 401k or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do 20 years um, and I can retire at 70% of my consecutive top 36 months of pay, um, 70% of that, uh, for the rest of my life. Um, and then, um, if my spouse outlives me, um, they continue to get that benefit until they pass away. Um, so, you know, retirement purposes, you know, for a 20, two-year-old kid was, um, you know, I, I was trying to set myself up for retirement. Right. Um, but I didn't really think about the ending of that, you know, now I'm at the end and I'm, (laughs) I'm like, I don't know what to do now when I, when I grow up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, that's the nice thing now is like, I mean, you got started so young that you, like you'll be, you can retire and you're still so young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I have the option, um, right now I'm in a position where I have the option to, um, if, um, I play my cards right, I could retire in a couple months. So, you know, um, four to six months, um, left, um, we have what's called airtime. You can buy a year um, towards your retirement. Um, and then I saved all my sick and vacation throughout my career. Um, one of the older guys, one of my training officers, when I was a brand new rookie, had told me to save as much sick and vacation as I could. And, right. um, and at the end of your career, you can either get paid out with that money or terminal um, out or early retirement. Um, so basically you use that retirement at the very end of your career, um, and you use all that time. Um, so you're on the books, still getting paid for however much time you have left. Right. Um, and then at the end of that, you're done, you retire, officially retire. So you are you feeling like you are ready? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, I mean, obviously I don't, I like, I can't relate to being a police officer and the intricacies and the just the overall, especially now with sentiment towards police officers and stuff like that, sure. definitely changing in the recent year. Um, it just seems like such a tough job. Um, it was always a tough job. Um, but 18 years ago when I first came on, um, obviously times were different and, but there's been, you know, radical changes throughout history, you know, towards police, um, you know, look at the, the riots in LA after Rodney King, you know, we had riots here in the eighties, um, also, and, you know, there's, it's kind of a, 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 for better, lack of better terms, like a circle of life, you know, um, 
we're in New Mexico, you know, in the wild west. So right. things back, you know, in the, when policing first started, you know, here it was a lot different and, and things change and, and police evolve and communities evolve and people evolve and, and the way that, um, we change as a culture, you know, I think the police have to change also. Um, and, you know, just some of the changes over the course of my career, you know, um, uh, have been for the better, you know, um, and not all of them, but I think for the majority of them, the, the things, um, that we do now as, as a police department, um, and, and departments across the country, you know, um, are better off for it, you know, community engagement, community policing, um, de-escalation, crisis intervention techniques, you know, um, those sort of things have come a long way to help with, um, not only dealing with people with mental illnesses, but also just people in crisis, you yeah. know, they might not have a mental illness, but they have a crisis or violent subjects, you know, things like that. So I think some of those things and, and the way that we've changed and, and how we deal with those things are, are overall good. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of the things that have changed or not a lot, but some of the things that they change or, or are implementing now also tie our hands from doing our job. Um, what are some examples of that? Um, just the scrutiny that the police fall under for like use of force. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the interactions that police have with the citizens daily, you know, very rarely result in a use of force. Um, but if it is resulted in a use of force, it's scrutinized highly. Yeah. Um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, Yeah. but police need to be able to use force, um, to do their job and go home to their family safely. Yeah. Um, and the way that the culture is, I, you know, I can't speak for other departments, but just in my department right now, um, a lot of officers that are out on the streets are afraid to use force. Um, and that scares me um, because they're afraid of getting in trouble. They're afraid of discipline um, and not even for the use of force itself, but maybe for some other small policy violation um, that might come up during that, you know, and, and in, 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 in any given circumstance, you know, in any given day, you know, somebody's going to be out of policy, yeah. if you will. You know, they, um, they're human beings. They're flawed. They're not robots. They're not androids. They're not going to do everything perfectly all the time. Right. Um, there is a human element to <clears throat> what we do. And, um, and I think people forget that sometimes, you know. Um, and so those officers that are afraid to use force or, or don't use the appropriate level of force that puts themselves in harm's way in danger or the citizens that they're trying to protect. Right. Um, you know, because, you know, this town is violent and there's violent criminals out there who want to kill people and police. And we need to be able to confront that, you know? Um, but the majority of the times when, you know, um, at least the officers that I've worked around, um, and myself included, you know, I, I have respect for the community and I treat people with respect. Yeah. Um, you know, and the good majority of people out here in our community are just people trying to live their lives. They're not, 
bad people. They're not trying to do criminal acts, you know, um, they're just doing their stuff. You know, I might pull somebody over for a traffic violation and maybe they're having a bad day and, you know, they start yelling at me or whatever on a traffic stop. And it's, that's not necessarily their character. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just because (laughs) maybe my, you know, them getting pulled over just kind of was the last straw, last straw for them on that given day, you know, and, and that happens, you know, um, now that's not always the case. There's people that are just rude and (laughs) right. You know, but it's difficult to read that. It is sometimes, but you know, for the most part, you can kind of tell, you know, they're just frustrated and, and it's nerve wracking when you get pulled over. And so, you know, I think, having some compassion and some grace going up to those, you know, but while still maintaining officer safety is, is critical, you know, and, and you got to remember, you know, at least I was taught, you know, when I was a rookie that, you know, they're just good people, Mm -hmm. you know, I I still want to make sure that I'm safe and protect myself, you know, because who knows what they are, you know, Um, they could have just killed somebody. I I don't know, you know, Um, but, um, I think for the most part and the most interactions that police have with our citizens are good interactions, you know? Um, and that's not to say that there's not bad police officers, you know, there's, there's bad police officers or bad apples in every profession. Yep. You know, it, it just happens. Um, but I think those people end up weeding themselves out. So, yeah. Um, what, what, um, departments have you served in? Because there's, I mean, obviously there's multiple different areas of the police force. And Within uh, the police department? Yeah. What sections? Um, so I did, the majority of my time was in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, what we call field services, just taking calls for service. You know, I was in uniform in a marked police car um, responding to citizens' calls for, for police. Um that also includes traffic enforcement, you know, DWI, you know, that sort of stuff. So, you know, all the, the aspects that go along with that. Um, I also had the opportunity to be on our, um, uh, bicycle unit. So, um, I was a bike unit for several years, um, in the Southeast area command. Um, and that was probably some of the most fun I had on this department. Really? Yeah. So where is that? Where did you, like, where in Albuquerque would you be on a bike? Um, so for me, it was the Southeast Area Command, which um, is now labeled as the International District um, okay. or prior to that, the war zone. Oh, yeah. So okay. along the Central Corridor, mm-hmm. um, we mainly patrolled... Um, the central corridor from like San Mateo, uh, down to the freeway. Um, so the Southeast area command is everything east of I-25 up to Eubank and everything south of I-40, um, to the base basically. Um, so it's a pretty big area command. Um, you know, we would ride east of San Mateo and, and west, but the majority of our time was west down in the Knob Hill area, um, where a lot of the foot traffic and stuff was. So you're on bicycles, not motorcycles, right? Yep, bicycles. And why was that so much fun for you? Well, just my history growing up, you know, working and wrenching on bikes and racing bikes and, you know, so. Just felt natural. Doing my job on a bike was just like, this is the ultimate job. (laughs) Did did you feel like, because 
whenever I see a, a like a police officer on a bike, I feel like if I were that police officer, I'd feel kind of naked. Um, yes and no. Like you don't have the comfort of your car there. Um, but you're also more engaged with the community when you're on bikes. I mean, mm -hmm. that is the true definition of community policing, I think, is our officers on bikes. Yeah. You know, because you're out there, you're approachable, um, you're responding to calls. I mean, we responded to calls for service on our bikes. You know, um, we dealt with um, quality of life issues. So, you know, the homeless people and the drugs and prostitution and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, we had a lot of advantages on bikes that, that th in a car you just don't have, mm -hmm. you know, um, we're a lot more quiet. We can get places still really quick. Um, you know, we could conduct surveillance and do, you know, lots of different things on them, which was a lot of fun. And then the community engagement, you know, we got to know all the patrons that were in the Knob Hill area and, right. you know, they saw our faces and, you know, we talked to them and said hi and helped them with concerns or problems that they might have. And, um, and then we got to know the homeless population too and, and knew which ones were, um, that we were able to help and which ones didn't want our help at all. Right. You know, and, and, um, so, but it was a good time. You know, me and my partner had a lot of fun yeah. doing that. So. I mean, it definitely sounds like a good time just riding a bike around for work and just going places, especially it, with the past like you had. It was, it was so much fun. And we still had our cars too. So, yeah. you know, we had to do that, but, um, you know, if it was too cold to ride or snowy or something, um, but we rode in the winter and, and in the summer, I mean, we're fortunate enough here to have, you know, to be able to almost ride year round. So, yeah, pretty much. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, after that, um, I had went into narcotics. So I was a narcotics detective for almost a year. Um, and then the end of my career here, uh, the last about four years, um, I spent some time in the crimes against children unit. Um, and then our child exploitation, uh, detail, um, and now currently I'm assigned to our internal affairs, uh, division, um, our use of force section. So our force section, now I investigate use of force. So you're actually a part of that. When did you, when did you become a part of the, that investigative unit? Uh, which one? The, the use of force? Yeah. Use of force. Or internal affairs. Um, about November, end of October, November, I came over. So has there been like a big push towards that sector? I mean, with everything that it seems just by public sentiment that everybody is really focused, like we were talking about earlier, on how cops use their force. And were you put into that or did you put yourself into that situation because of what had been going on last year or just happenstance, happen chance? Um. Well, for me, um, I'd had some, uh, it was time for me to get out of the juvenile section and investigating those crimes. Yeah. Um, and so I needed a place where I could, uh, decompress a little bit and, uh, but still utilize the skills that I had, you know, obtained over my career and, and as a, an investigator, um, and they needed help there in that unit. And so, 
they asked if I'd be willing to go there. And I said, sure. Um, so um, I was kind of put there, but kind of put there my, you know, asked to be put there, right. if you will. Um, so it hadn't really nothing to do with, you know, the the DOJ or the Department of Justice coming in and, and whatnot. But that section was created um, based on the de uh, the dissent decree from the Department of Justice. Um, they split the Internal Affairs Unit into, um, you know, policy and then force. So that so, just happened recently? Um, yeah, within the last seven years. Oh, okay. So a while ago. Yeah. Still, but... Um, yeah, I was about to say, I can imagine that the, the child, um, section of your, um, line of work would be pretty brutal. Uh, it is, it was rough. Um, you know, I liked what I did. It's good work. Um, you know, I'm helping true victims, children. Right. Um, and, but it definitely takes its toll on you, you know, yeah. um, uh, for me, at least it, it, it took its toll, um, from the betterment of my mental health and, um, had some issues with that. So I needed to get out of those investigations, right? you know, um, but the work itself is, is needed. It's like a necessary evil, yeah. you know, um you know, the things that people do to their kids is just horrendous. So I'm sure it's especially difficult when you have young children. It is. Yeah. They, uh, definitely take, um, or feel the effects of that. Um, you know, and I try to separate it as much as I can, but it's hard sometimes seeing yeah, yeah. all those things and, and, um, and not trying to protect my kids and shelter them as much as I can you know, um, but, um, you know, my kids are good kids. So, you know, I think that they understand and, um, you know, although they didn't have social media and <laughs> I was very strict on those sort of things, right. you know, um, and still am, um, you know, um, I think they understand why. So, yeah. Yeah. I can, <clears throat> I, it, probably a difficult area to like talk with the kids about like what your work is like especially when you're in that area and like having them understand where you're coming from and like having known like having seen things that you can't share with them um yeah but having them be able to understand that like this is because it's stuff that actually happens I like I've taken a <clears throat> like a role with my brothers um, where like I feel very like um, protective over like the stuff that they do. Um, but I also want to make sure that they're like learning in ways that they can. And I like that's just from like being a, a person, not from actually like seeing some really messed right. up stuff. So yeah. I can't like, when I heard that that's what you served in, I was like, man, I can't even imagine how difficult that must be. Yeah, it is. It's hard to explain to them exactly why sometimes. Right. 
you know, like, you know, there are bad people out there that want to harm kids, you know, yeah. not just parents that get frustrated and, and lose their temper and, and, you know, maybe spank their kid too hard or with a belt or whatever. I mean, you know, outside of that, you know, um, you know, there's, there's some truly evil people out there that want to take advantage of kids, um, you know, sexual predators and, and online predators that, that do that stuff. And that was, you know, directly in the line of work that I did, you know, um, also part of the internet crimes against children task force. And so it was, it was an interesting, um, take, um, or in it, it was a delicate balance to balance work and home. Um, you know, like, you know, the girls would, you know, cause I have three, three daughters. And so, you know, they'd be like, well, all my friends have this social media or, or this and that. And, right. and I'm like, I, I don't care what your friends have or don't have. Like, I'm sorry, you know, Absolutely. like if you're going to have this, you know, there's going to be limitations on it. And, um, you know, and spot checks, <laughs> yeah. like, all right, let me see your phone, you know, and I go through their phone and, and spot check them just to make sure that they're not talking to some random person that they don't know, you know, a friend of a friend who the friend doesn't really even know, you know, yeah. with, the culture today and, and social media as it is, you know, everybody caring about how many people follow them and how many likes they get, you know, on certain things. It's, you know, I, I truly think social media is the downfall of our society. It's, it's yeah. just horrible, you know, and um, always having your face in a, you know, in some sort of a social media platform, you know, um, kids don't get a break from it, you know, and I wanted my kids to have that break, you know, and not because I was worried about them being bullied at school or whatever. But, you know, when I grew up, you know, if, if I got bullied at school, like I could come home and that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't feel it at home. You know, these kids now they feel that at home because of social media and, you know, they still get bullied online and, you know, they have no reprieve from it. And so the mental, you know, um, toll that it takes on our kids, you know, um, is horrible. Um, and it, you know, ultimately can lead to suicide, um, for them, which is a, a bad thing. And I didn't want my kids to have to suffer in that way. And then also to protect them from online predators and right. to make sure that they're, um, staying safe. Um, and so we'd talk to them a little bit about that. And, um, you know, although they might not have understood it at that time, I think they kind of, realize it now, you right. know, at least my older two, you know, my youngest, um, being eight, almost nine, um, you know, she wants to play games with her friends online and, um, you know, and there's only a certain number of friends that I let her play with online, mm -hmm. you know, um, like your little brothers, yeah. one of them, you know, and it's like, I need to know who they are. Right. You know, you can't just be, you know, um, like that game among us or whatever, that's really big right now. Like, she doesn't play that game. Yeah. You know, I don't want her in some game where it's, you know, a bunch of chatting and whatever else with people that she doesn't know. Yeah. Um, just for a little bit of entertainment, there's other things that she can do. So, yeah, that's a, <clears throat> did you watch the social dilemma? Uh, no. Well, I mean, it's just a, it's such a weird area that we're in right now because it, it is so like screen based when, yeah. 
like when I grew up, I didn't like I would watch. So I actually got forced to like watch TV because I wanted to get up and go play, but it was 5 a.m. And my mom was like, you can't go wake up the neighbors right now. It's way too early. Right. So they would have like SpongeBob on for the first like uh, until like 730. And then my mom was like, all right, our neighbors know us. You can go over there, wake up their kids and like play. And that's like what I did. I was always like uh, my dad built me a bike jump in our cul-de-sac in Denver. And I was, I was out there every day on my bike, on roller skates, on a skateboard, like always doing that stuff. When it snowed, we would build uh, snow jumps into like the holding pond that we had next <laughs> to us. And like, that's all we would do was play outside always. Yeah. And, um, like, and I guess I was kind of the driving force in that neighborhood because when I, le- when I left, when I was seven, they were like, we don't even play outside anymore. Like no one does anything because <laughs> Devin's not here to wake us up and go play. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's just, that was like who I was and like watching my brothers like get sucked into these video games and stuff. Cause I've never liked video games. Like it just doesn't feel real to me. I'm also terrible at them. So that probably <laughs> plays into it, but um, it's hard for me because like I, I like get frustrated with Lachlan cause he's always on his iPad, but then I'm like, there's not really much else for him to do right now because like me and my mom are working, Brendan's in school, like doing homework or whatever. Like I, and it's there, you yeah. know, like I can't blame him for getting onto that when like we got it for him to use it. But, um, yeah, since then, like I, I talked to Lachlan, I'm like, I want you to build things. Like really, I just like mess with stuff like, and he always, he's always doing stuff now. Like he takes all of the wires that he can find and like pretends to build these like computers that like control the world or something, <laughs> which like, it's great because he's like actually like using his imagination rather than just like numbing himself. Yeah. Which is like my biggest like worry is like them sucking into like these shows and video games and then having like zero creativity. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, we need to foster that in our, in our, you know, uh, for you, your, your youngest brother and, and for me, my kids, you know, um, like Lachlan was over at my house (laughs) and I had, we were talking about earlier, like, you know, my garage was messy and I had just cleaned it and I'd put some roof rack stuff up so I could put, you know, the storage up there and, and cleaned it out. So my wife could park her car in the garage. And one day I come home from work and, and Lachlan and Emmeline are in the, <sighs> in there. Well, I, they were in the house at that time, but I'd come back and all of a sudden, like, um, there's all this wood out all over my garage with like, it looked like, you know, uh, Tinkerbell threw up in my garage <laughs> with all of the, <laughs> Stuff that was everywhere. <laughs> With all the glitter everywhere. Because, oh of course, I have a, a girl, and so and she loves sparkly things. But she's very much a tomboy Yeah. also, right. you know. And um, and I build um, things, you know, for the house. Like, I built our entertainment center, and I built my daughter's bed, and, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. And so I had all this extra wood out. And so her and Lachlan found some old, you know, not even old wood, but wood, and they built these big contraptions in my garage and you know all over the place and I'm like I I couldn't even get mad at them because 
you know, it's much better that they do that than they're just in on the couch watching TV or something, you know? And so I was like, well, good for you. Like, at least they're using their imagination and, you know, and it's still in my garage right now. I haven't even taken it down (laughs) yet. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, we get into that because like Lachlan's like, I want to build something. And then I'm like, when he says that it like makes my brainstorm, like, what can I build? You know? And then I like, just like the other day, me and Brendan built a rocket stove just randomly. And like, I've never welded before really, but I just, my dad had this old, uh, or this welder in the garage and it's a stick welder and it's so difficult to like use. (laughs) But I was like, you know what? I'll just mess around with it. See if I can figure it out. And, uh, we built a rocket stove out of like this big piping and it's super cool. It was so much fun to make. Yeah. Um, and then Lachlan, of course, every time there's like a box, like a cardboard box or something, Oh my goodness. He's like, can we keep that? (laughs) Like we, we had to build all the, the heaters at the restaurant and every box, there was like all these like big cardboard, dense cardboard pieces. And he was like building like little guns out of them and like all this different stuff. And he's like, Devin, you got to take this box home. I put all my stuff in it. And so I'll bring it here. And I've got, um, oh no, I threw it away actually because it was just sitting here and he didn't want to use it anymore. But I brought like two big boxes of cardboard home for him to make stuff out of. Yep. And then it ends up sitting there, but he'll find something else and throw it around the house and you have to pick all that up. Well, they're eight, you know, and they, the little tornadoes, little Tasmanian devils, they they go and, you know, find something shiny and they play with it for a minute and then they leave it there and they go on to something else. Yeah. you know, I'm sure it's the same at your house that it is at mine. You know, they they just leave their stuff everywhere. But yeah, cardboard's big at my house too with my kids. And yeah, you know, this weekend, you know, when Lachlan was over this weekend, they were using our, they found cardboard boxes in my garage that I was, <laughs> I hadn't taken the recycle bin yet and they repurposed them for other things. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. But it's good. You know, I, it, it's, it's good to see that in, you know, the inventiveness of them, you know, what, what they can come up with their imagination and want to invent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think too many kids are silenced in that nowadays, like, Oh, don't do that. You know, right. You know, kind of be seen and not heard type of thing. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, um, and I have to be careful with myself sometimes too, you know, cause I'll come home and I'm, stressed or frustrated or whatever. And, you know, like the other day I came home and one of the other little soccer kids was at the house, Lucy, and she was at the house with Emmy and, and, uh, they were playing and being loud. And, and I yelled at him, I'm like, Hey, you know, Emmeline, she's like, what? I was like, stop that. And she goes, stop what? I'm like playing. <laughs> Like that was the first thing that came to my head, like being loud, you know? And I like, and after I said it, like right afterwards, I was like, oh my God, did I really just say that? And my wife is on the couch and she looks at me and she goes, really? And I was like, (laughs) yeah, sorry. (laughs) Like, you know, it just, it happens and, (laughs) you know, but they're just being kids and being loud and that's what they do, you know? And Mm. I forget sometimes that, that's how they are because of my own stress or whatever, you know? And so parenting is hard for sure. And, you know, especially being a police officer and and doing what I do and seeing what I see is, 
is even more difficult sometimes on my kids, but you know, we try to get them as much exposure to different things as, as I can. And, right. and, you know, luckily for me, my kids are, are wonderful. Yeah. You know, they've, they have good attitudes and they're sweet, respective, um, you know, caring, they care about other people. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's great. So yeah. I, I really, I'm, I'm blessed that my kids turned out so well. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It seems hard, um, harder and harder to like raise good kids. Like you see a lot of kids. I mean, there are so many good kids, but I guess it's the same as anything. Like the, the loudest ones, uh, like the, the minority, are usually the loudest, you know, or the most annoying, Yeah, I, I guess. But there are so many kids out there that you're just like, uh, you obviously just struggled growing up. Like it's hard to even blame them because you know that there was something that like triggered them into being the way that they are. Right. When they're like not respect respecting adults and just not good kids. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, like it can't even be that mad at you. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, and it's so nice now, you know, before, you know, my first house that we bought was way out on the South Valley. Um, and, you know, my, my oldest, she's 19 and um, it, it was hard for her growing up. I think like she had some friends that came over that um, they were always at our house, you know, they were kind of like an extension of my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked that, like having the kids around the house, but it was very few and far between. And the two younger ones didn't have a lot of that, you know? Um, and now that we've moved up into the Heights and where we live now, like there's kids at our house all the time, you know, and I love it, yeah. you know, to, to be able to have those kids at the house. And it reminds me of me growing up and having my friends over and, um, you know, and so I like that, you know, like when Lachlan comes over, like this weekend, it was wonderful having him at the house and just, you know, yeah. I consider him one of my kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's you know, always fun when Emily and him are together. Yeah. You know, and, and they're like brother and sister, they fight like brother and sister, but you know, but they're really good together too. And so it's, uh, you know, it's funny and, you know, Addison's best friend is always at the house and, so I'm, you know, she's just another one of my kids too. Right. And I treat her like one of my kids and, you know, Michaela's older now, but there's still some of her girlfriends that come over and, you know, they're doing things that they shouldn't. I'm like, really? You know, and I have <laughs> yeah. to parent them and they're like, sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's, so. I've always liked that idea. And that's why I love our house. Um, I, I wish it had better, better internet because then people would want to be here more, but like, I like the idea of having the kids here, like yeah. at where you know where they are yeah. rather than out doing stuff at other people's houses. So if like you can have an environment where everybody wants to hang out, you're like, this is great because now I don't have to worry about them. Exactly. And their parents know that they're here and it just Safe makes things and, simple. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's, you know, it, it's good. Um, you know, and then my kids have surrounded themselves with, good friends too, mm -hmm. which definitely, um, plays a part in that, you yeah. know, um, they're not out off out getting in trouble, sneaking out of the house, you know, um, 
doing drugs, you know, that sort of stuff. Like some of the kids that I see out there and, you know, their, their kids are good kids, you know, their friends are good kids and yeah. um, their families are good. You know, we know all of their families and, um, you know, we're on a, you know, first name basis with all of them and we all get together and, and hang out and, yeah. and that's what I like, you know, um, the sports environment is really important. I feel like for conducting oh, good absolutely. friendships. Absolutely, you know these kids need those activities and those sports, um, and it does. It fosters good friendships and lifelong yeah. friendships. You know, um, I'm sure you still have friends that you grew up playing soccer them. with, and oh. you know, um, and now like I'm 40 years old, and I still have friends from when I was, you know. Lachlan and Emmeline's age, yep. you know, that I played soccer with growing up and we're still in touch, Yeah, you know, and not as often as we probably should be sometimes, but, right. um, you know, we see each other now and then and, or, you know, text back and forth. I don't have any social media, so I don't, you know, do Facebook and that stuff, but, um, you know, now they have kids and, you know, it's, it's funny, especially when I see their kids out playing soccer with my kids and I'm mm -hmm. like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. that's always nice. I bet, you know, so, um, that's kind of interesting and, um, you know, but you know, it's, it's a good environment for these kids to make lifelong friends and, and have good social skills. And this pandemic that we've been in this last year is, it's been really hard on kids, you know, because everything is so screen based um, now with school being online and everything else and the kids not being able to go outside. And, you know, when some parents are afraid of this virus and I understand that, but, you know, the, my kids mental health and, and the betterment of them is, is way more important than me getting this virus. And yeah, that's why we've tried to keep them engaged as much as we can with other parents and kids that, you know, for the most part, like we knew that, you know, they were good people and not out trying to, um, you know, you could catch the virus from anywhere, but, right. um, you know, we were always kind of together. So we had this core kind of group of, you know, the soccer community that kept these kids or our kids sane yeah, no, <laughs> during absolutely. this, this last year, which has been really nice, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, so, Brendan is 16, so he didn't he didn't really have an outlet um, like, well, and his teams weren't doing anything really. So he didn't have an outlet like Lachlan did. Um, where we were fortunate that the Velas were still running stuff um, to get the kids out there and like going out there and watching them and then seeing the way people acted like that weren't a part of it. Yeah. I was like, man, it's got to be sad to be like that. Yeah. You know, like there were so many people that were like turning in disgust when they drove by and like, I'm like, you're really upset about kids playing. Yeah. Like <laughs> what, where are we in the world right now? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. No. And I wasn't worried about my kids. You know, I, I mean, I guess anything could happen. You know, one of them could have caught the virus and, and had suffered severely from it. Sure. You know, that's a possibility, but the statistics for it were very low. Right. I you mean, know, you're I probably more likely to get into a car accident on the way there. Yeah, than exactly. Than getting hurt out yep. playing with friends, yep. you know, you know, and this whole time, you know, and, and they did it as safely as they could. And, and look a year later, none of the kids have gotten sick. Yeah. They're all fine, you know? Um, and 
you know, and I think that it's helped them kind of escape some of that, you know, confinement, you know, just from being in the house. Oh, it was awful. So. It's like, especially when Lachlan started going on when we first got on and he was all online, he was so depressed. Oh yeah. I was like, I didn't even know kids like got depressed. Yeah. Like that. He was so sad. He was like, I just want to see my friends. Right. Well, and I was and like, was, I, yeah. I don't know what to tell you, dude. I think you should see your friends too. <laughs> I don't think there's any reason you should not be seeing your friends right now. Yep. It was horrible, you know, and Emmy started a new school this year and, you know, she, and so she didn't know any of these kids coming into school, you know, in third grade. And she is so outgoing and so sweet that she never had a problem making friends or interacting with kids. Like that just wasn't her, mm -hmm. you know, because she's like, she's the center of attention. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, her being online for the first month and, you know, and she comes up to, to her mom and I, and she goes, you know, how do I make friends online? Like, right. it's how, impossible. Do, how do I make friends? Yeah, it's possible. And that broke my heart. I'm like, baby, it's, I, I don't know. Like a lot of these kids, you know, have been going to school for several years with each other. So they know each other. Mm -hmm. I said, you're the new kid and it's online. Like, yeah. it's very hard to for them to get to know you in the amount of time that you have to interact with them online. You, it's not like you're going out to recess and they get to see you and you get to, you know, interact with them and they get to know your personality. I said, you don't have that right now. I no. said, just take some time and you know, it'll get better. And, and it did eventually, but yeah, it was very hard at the beginning for them. And, you know, and we're thankful that, Lachlan was around and, you know, and a couple of her other little friends that were able to come over and, you know, or vice versa, she was able to go to their house and, you know, cause at least they had that outlet, especially at the very beginning, right. you know, where it was, you know, Full, everything was yeah. kind of shut down on lockdown for a while. And, um, you know, but yeah, it was, it was tough for a little while. So. Was, was there a lot of that, um, like change in the way things were done in the police force when the lockdown happened or like, was there, I mean, obviously you guys have mask mandates and all that sort of stuff, but like, was, Oh yeah. Was there a change in the, the actions that you guys did? Like, did you have to go through more training? Um, so the field guys, I think the guys that were out taking calls for service kind of had it worse because, they're out there interacting with the public, you know, in the, in the positions that I was in, I was fortunate enough to be able to, um, I wasn't out directly with the public every single day. You know, a lot of my time is office time. Mm -hmm. So I was just in the office, you know, um, where I'm at now, a lot of our guys were fortunate enough to be able to work from home. Um, you know, because we can do our investigations anywhere, really, you know, as long as we have a computer and internet, we were good to go. And, and so that um, definitely helped some. And, um, you know, within the last month, we've been back in the office now. Um, and so, um, but, you know, I've been vaccinated and, and some of the other guys have been vaccinated too. Um, and so that helps some with some of that um, mandating to be at work, you know, right. instead of at home, but then it puts more stress on those parents that are still at home with their kids, you know, because their kids haven't gone back to school yet. So, uh, like right now it's, it's upon my wife to, 
to be at home with the kids while I mandated to be at work in the office. Right. And, and so that's a little hard. I wish they'd still give us the option to be able to work from home or in the office. Right. Um, you know, and, um, that way I can help a little more at home, but especially cause the kids are still at home for most of them. Exactly. You know, so, but yeah. you know, I don't make those decisions. So, right. Yeah. Um, is like, were there a lot of guys that were worried? I mean, I don't know how much, how much you interact with the frontline guys, like the guys that are on call, I guess, um, for the public, but was there anxiety around that? And like, um, I don't know. Um, at the beginning when we kind of first went into quarantine and, and up through the summer, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of interaction with the frontline guys at all. Um, and then, um, and then I was off, uh, for about three months, um, during the summer, um, because of my, some of my mental health stuff. And, um, so I didn't really interact with them a lot. Right. Um, and then when I came back in November, um, into where I'm at now, you know, I've had a little more contact with the frontline guys because I'm investigating their uses of force. Right. Um, but they don't seem worried, you know, anymore. I think it's kind of past that. So at the beginning, I don't know what yeah. the, what it was like for them, um, being on the front. I can tell you those in my office weren't really worried about it. Um, you know, um, we were still doing our stuff and, and then, you know, at that time too, I, I was working some on the federal side. I was, um, when I was in the child exploitation detail, I'd actually gotten, um, a position with the FBI task force, um, for that. So I was going through the background process for the FBI task force spot for their, um, child exploitation and human trafficking task force. And, um, uh, before I had to leave and, and get out of that unit, um, so I didn't have a lot of interaction with the frontline guys or the the main public. And we did some, but we made sure we were safe. We masked up and, right. and did what we needed to do, you know, when we did go out for warrants or stuff like that. So with your current role, um, how often are you having to um, look into cases of use of force and what does that kind of entail? Like, um, So... I get my cases from on call, really. Um, I'm on call about once a month um, or once, uh, one week, and then I have about three or four weeks off, and then I go back on call for a week. Um, and during those times, um, you know, I go out and, and if there's a use of force during that week, there's three of us that are on call, um, how it works right now. Um, and we kind of rotate between the three detectives for that week. Um, so once one person gets one, it goes to the next one, the next one, and then back to the first one. And, um, uh, and they come in, you know, um, and the majority of the uses of force, um, well, all the uses of force that I've had to go out for and investigative and pretty minor, um, and, and all within policy justified, um, but then, of course, we got to do our investigation and write them all up and, right. and do that stuff. So, um, but yeah, it just depends, um, you know, because we have different levels of force, we classify them into levels. Um, so there's very minor 
to um, moderate to very serious, you know, um, and the most serious, of course, are like the officer-involved shootings, um, and, and we do investigate those as well. So, you know, in the last couple of weeks, um, we've had a couple officer-involved shootings. Um, so those still happen, you know, although they're still fairly rare, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's still times where that does happen, you know, um, and then the, the moderate ones, you know, like bean bags, um, or less lethal munitions. So bean bag, 40 mils, right. um, the tasers, those sort of stuff. Um, you know, we investigate all those too. So when you were part of the, the front line, did you have, uh, interactions that went to like the less moderate uses of force, they went higher? Like, were you ever involved in like an officer shooting or? Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, so in, um, it was actually October 8th of 2007. Um, I was involved in an officer involved shooting, um, where I had to shoot and, and shoot somebody and they ended up dying from those injuries. Um, and that was the only time that, um, I actually shot. Um, but yeah, over my career, you know, I've had times where I've been shot at, um, I've been close to, um, there's been, there was times after that where I was really close to, to almost being involved in another shooting. Um, so, um, but I've been fortunate enough to, to have only been involved in one in my career. Um, you know, statistically, um, the chances of being, um, involved in multiple officer involved shootings, um, increase after your first one. So, um, I was lucky enough to have only been involved in one there. Um, and then, you know, over 18 years, um, the only other time that I've used like less lethal munitions other than hands-on, um, I utilized my taser twice in 18 years. Um, everything else was, um, hands-on, um, or OC spray, you know, or pepper spray, um, however people want to classify it as, um, uh, but most of my interactions were, uh, you know, I was a pretty good communicator. And then uh, there for a long time, too, I was on our crisis negotiation team as a negotiator. So I had a lot of training and um, talking people down and, and stuff. So I was able to talk people into handcuffs more than I had to force them into right. handcuffs. Um, so I've been pretty fortunate in my career not to have been involved in too many altercations, but, you know, th- not everybody in their career shoots and kills somebody either. Right. So, uh, you know, unfortunately I had to go through that also. Was that, was it hard for you to recover from that? Um, yes and no. I mean, it was difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, it was either I shoot him or he shoots another officer. Right. Um, and that was, that's your job at that moment. Yeah, that was my job at that moment. So he kind of forced my hand um, to have to take that action, you know, yeah. because it was the situation was he was basically in a, a standoff with another officer um, and he was about to ambush him. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time um, with a rifle. And I was able to to stop him from shooting the officer. So yeah. that seems... Um, I feel like there's a lot of sentiment around officers and the the way that 
especially they've been portrayed recently as like many of them are, um, and it's like hard to say it, you know, but a lot of them were like bullied kids when they grew up and stuff like that. Like that's kind of the sentiment towards officers and that's why they're in positions like this so they can feel some sort of power, you know? Um, and obviously that's not all officers, but, um, I'm sure it's, I'm sure you've come across officers that, you know, that just weren't in the job for the right reasons. Oh yeah. Um, and portrayed themselves in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even within our own department, there was officers that were um, heavy-handed, you know, that that took things a little too far, um, you know, or had a a big ego, if you will, or whatever. Um, But those officers ended up weeding themselves out, you know. They they did things that got them in trouble um, and ended up you know, getting them fired ultimately from the department. Um, you know, I think some of those still might be on the department, some officers like that. Um, I was fortunate enough in my career to have worked around really good officers, you know, um, and, and good people. Um, of course I knew some of those officers that ended up getting fired and, and whatever else, because we are a small department. Um, and so you know who they are. Um, but you know, I did my best to try to stay away from those types of people and, you know, yeah, I can imagine it's, I'm, I haven't seen it, but I heard there's a, there's a documentary called the seven five. Have you heard that? Have you Mm -hmm. seen that? So from what I've gathered and I haven't seen it, um, it's about corruption in a police force. Um, and this, the guy, Michael something, I think, I think I have his name up actually. Um, Michael Dowd, he was, uh, it was like his first day on the job and like his introduction into being a cop was like a group of cops throwing a guy off of a building. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and killing him. Um, and it was like talking about how the culture of this unit, unit seven, five was just, like the worst type of police culture that you could possibly have. Sure. Um, it's kind of rogue, mm-hmm. like TV stuff almost. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they, I mean, they got caught. Um, and Michael Dowd went to prison for 10 years and stuff like that. But now he's like talking about his experience and how like, it's true that the culture breeds the, like the people kind of, and it, you have to be immensely strong mentally to be able to go into a culture like that and be like, that's not who I'm going to be, you know? And it, it's hard to, to expect everyone to do that. So it's good to hear that like the Albuquerque police department, um, has like a strong culture of doing the right thing and weeding out the, the right people. Um, obviously there's, it's never perfect, but absolutely. I, I think, you know, in my experience, you know, growing up in this town, um, working in this town, you know, um, giving my youth to this department and this community, um, you know, it, it, you know, the, the police department really is, 
um, or at least I was raised as it's a brotherhood, right? Brothers and sisters in blue, you know, um, the thin blue line uh, between good and evil. And of course there's, you know, even here there's, there's um, guys and gals that, you know, have gotten into it for the wrong reasons, of course. Um, but we are fortunate enough here, um, in my opinion, that we don't have that corruptive um, culture mentality. You know, there's not uh, an air of, um, you know, like Chicago or, you know, New York even, or some of the bigger, you know, giant police departments where, you know, they're run by, you know, or, you know, the mob and, and mm -hmm. those things, you know, are, are really big. Like, uh, you know, down here we have the cartels and stuff, but I haven't seen, you know, cartels and planting officers within our department and, you know, and, and things like that. Like that, that's just doesn't happen here. Right. You know, um, you know, even, you know, the whole movement with the black lives matter and, and all the protests with, you know, officer involved shootings and, and black versus white and, and all that stuff. Like, you know, I'm sure that there is corruption and, and racially motivated stuff that goes on around the country and other parts. I just don't see that stuff here. You know, I've been fortunate enough to have worked around good officers um, and me myself, like I grew up um, with kids of all different backgrounds that were good friends. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't raised to be, you know, racially biased, if you will. And, and we all have our own biases, you know, yeah. and in our own, um, and, and, and I'm not saying that I, I haven't felt fear or, or whatever because of somebody else, you know, but I don't look at, you know, uh, a, a, a black guy, you know, as somebody that's a lesser person than me, right. you know, any more than I do a Hispanic guy or an Asian guy or, yeah. or, or anything, you know, I, I don't, I just, I didn't grow up in that culture. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I didn't really experience a lot of that negativity until I came on the department until we kind of had an influx of people from other um, um, places that had came here for refuge. Like, you know, when Katrina hit Hurricane Katrina and a lot of people from Memphis moved up here, um, you know, I was on the streets at that time and we had a lot of influx of uh, the black community that had come in and, and some of them were minorities um, as far as um, their social economic standing, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. And so mm -hmm. they lived in some of the not so good parts of town and we would go there and, you know, for calls and, and I would hear these, you know, things from these people, like I'm just there because, you know, or I'm doing this because they're black or I'm doing this because of this. And I'm like, you know, that, that has nothing to do with why I'm there right. or, or, or even what I'm thinking, like in their head, in their story, that's true because they've experienced it. And, mm -hmm. I, and I can't minimize that, you know, and I'm not going to change the way that they feel about police and because it's ingrained in them. That, that's what they've experienced. That's all they know, um, you know, but I don't know that, right. you know, coming here, I, I have no, you know, if you do something wrong, I don't care what color you are. Like that, that's it. Yeah. You know, I got a job to do um, and I'm going to do the job the best way that I know how and, and, and as safe you know, as I know how, so I can go home to my family, you know, and, yeah. 
And so here in this department, you know, and that corruption and stuff, and, you know, is there a possibility that it's happened? Sure. You know, I've never been around it. I've never been around officers who have, you know, taken things too far or, you know, or, or been involved in, in that corruption. But, you know, I've heard stories of, of officers that did go rogue and, and have done those things, even within our department, you know, um, before I came on. Um, so it happens. And but I think it's very few and far between. Um, and we're fortunate enough to live in a community where the majority of our police force are good officers that just want to make a difference in their community or their own lives, you know, um, and, um, and do the right thing. Right. So then that's, yeah, you know, that's good. Yeah. I, um, I think it's really difficult for people to humanize, like even just officers, um, because like, and it's, it seems as though it's mostly stemmed in, in the recent times from social media and obviously terrible cops, um, in certain scenarios, but, um, the ability for everybody to like demonize one group of people because of the actions of a few like, I don't think it's ever been so able as it is now because of social media. And, um, I mean, we got to the point where there have been cities that are like defunding the police, um, which I'm interested to hear what you think of that and how that (laughs) like hit you when that happened. But when I heard that for the first time, I was like, what kind of box are you guys trying to open? Like, where are we going? (laughs) Right. Well, and you know, talking about that, right. Demonizing a group of people because of a few, right. Um, isn't that what they say the police do to the black community? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's racism at its core, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and demonizing the police nationwide because there's a few bad apples is, in my opinion, still racist against police. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you look at it at that from those same lenses, yeah. it's, it's, it's that same core issue, right? They don't like you because of X, Y, Z, you know, right. they don't like you because you're black or they don't like police because they're police. Yeah. And I think it's, and there's the, it's, it's all from your experience. It is. So like, if you feel racism towards say a black person, it may be because you had an altercation with a black person in the past that flipped your perspective on that. Sure. And, um, not saying that that's right at all, but the ability of social media to ingrain these interactions in everybody when they're not happening to everybody yes makes it so that like the whole country can turn against well not the whole country i'm positive that the whole country did not want to fund the police um but like the 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 loud minority to be able to turn on the police like that it there's no other way that that many people and most of them, I'd have to say, were probably privileged people 
that like just wanted to fit in. Um, that's just not never going to work. And for them to try and think that that's going to work just because of someone else's interaction. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, defunding the police, you know, obviously I think that's a bad idea. You know, I, I, I don't see where that fits into any, you know, where that benefits anybody. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, you know, who else is going to come to you, you know, in your worst day, you know, and, and that's what the police do. We are there and we meet people oftentimes more often than not on the worst day of their life, you know, for whatever reason, you know, um, and we are the ones that, you know, as the police, you know, um, that are running into those situations instead of running away from them. You know, um, I took an oath to protect the community that I serve and, and that's what I intend to do until I retire, Yeah, you know, is do the best that I can with that, you know, um, and to defund the police, um, just makes it harder for those police or those communities to, um, stay safe, I think, you know, and, and to, to effectively do their job. Yeah. Um, you know, does that mean that I'm against police reform or changes in the police? No. Right. You know, I, I don't, I think, like I said earlier, right. You know, over the course of my 18 years here, you know, uh, a lot of the changes that have been made and, 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 um, throughout the way that we do and conduct business in the police department has been good. Yeah. You know, I mean, we need to evolve just like everything else, you know, and we need to get better at it. And, and could there be things that um, are made better? Absolutely. You know um, you know, our big issue here there for a while was mental health, right. And, and dealing with the mentally ill community, but our mental health system is broken. You yeah, know? that's something I would like to play devil's advocate for just a moment. Obviously, I agree with you on everything that you just said, but there are people that are saying the police shouldn't be doing everything that they're doing. Like maybe they're not the ones to go to domestic like um, outbursts or whatever, um, which I don't necessarily agree with because those are often the most violent. Yes. Um, or like mentally ill people, like you guys have to deal with all that. Like that's all on you. Um, and some of the ideas was not necessarily defunding the police fully, but creating new like areas that focus on different things. Like maybe a homeless sector, um, that they just deal with all the homeless people, but it just gets into a situation where like, I feel like all of that has been put under the police because of a reason. Like there are off, there are more often than not times in all of those situations where the police's physical expertise and like their ability to use force has to come up. Right. Um, and we'd rather the police be able to protect themselves than bring someone in that's not going to be able to protect themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, is there... Um, a means to send civilians into certain situations. Sure. There are, you know, I agree with that. Um, domestic violence. I agree with you is not one of those, you know, that is some of the most volatile things that, 
um, we have to get involved with. And statistically, the rates of homicide, um, you know, under domestic violence are really high. Yeah. You know, so sending somebody that doesn't have those, those, that training, the knowledge, um, or the ability to handle that situation, if it does turn violent is, um, is just setting those people up to get hurt. Yeah. And you know, the other outreaches like the homeless, you know, we have community, uh, um, not communities, but we have, um, people and folks out there here in our community that go and reach out to the homeless and provide them with food and shelter and resources and stuff. And, and I agree with that, you know, can they, you know, um, be bigger or more funded? Sure. You know, we could absolutely look at some of that stuff, you know, the mentally ill stuff, you know, we have specific things within our department that we've done to address that, you know, sending officers out that have a little more training in those areas of, of mental health um, and um, clinicians that are riding with those officers um, and our crisis intervention detectives that have clinicians that ride with them um, to go out and assess those situations and do follow up and, you know, but still, you know, it doesn't mean that they're sending a police officer just because they have a gun, but a lot of times people that are mentally ill are violent. And if they're in a, a, a place of crisis, you know, we have to have somebody out there that can take an action if needed, yep. you know, more often than not, it's not needed, you know, right. and those people are, you know, brought to the hospital or, or whatever, um, without incident, um, you know, but until we change the, the mental health, um, and, until the mental health section changes, um, and that gets better for the community because it's a broken system. We send them to the hospital, they're out and we're dealing with them again the next day. And it's just this revolving door. Um, you know, that's not on the police to fix, yeah. You know, um, I don't know what the solution is. You know, we went away from um, mental institutions, you know, and put all these mentally ill people on the out on the streets, you know, um, because there were so many problems with the mental institutions. Now, you know, there it, it's good and bad in, in both situations, I think. You know, there was good things that happened with the mental institutions, but there was also bad things that happened with the mental institutions. Yeah. That's why they got rid of them. But then they created this whole other problem that nobody, you know, is willing to deal with. Um, and it's just upon the police to to deal with. Right. Um, and there's other groups out there that that tried to take care of the mental, um, mentally ill community. Um, and, and a lot of them are homeless and stuff like that, you know, and because of substance abuse or whatever, and they self-medicate. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a, it's a, a fine line to walk as the police department, because, you know, our job is, you know, oftentimes and not a temporary solution to a more permanent problem, you know, like with domestic violence, for example, you know, we go in, we arrest, um, the guy or the girl, cause it can be either, um, you know, because of a domestic violence, uh, de violence, domestic violence incident, you know, we take them to jail, um, to protect the victim and, you know, 
but then it's upon the victim to take some sort of an action there too, you know, yeah. and oftentimes they're not, they don't want to leave their abuser um, or that spouse. Yeah. I've and, actually had an altercation with that. And that, that's hard, you know, and it's, you know, how do you convince, you know, this young lady or this young man to leave the person that's abusing them? You know, you, I can't do that as a no. police officer. I can give them the tools, you know, to, um, go down and get a restraining order or whatever, but ultimately they have to make that decision, you know, and sometimes it does go further than that. And that's when stalking becomes a big thing or, um, you know, and, and or killing, you know, because that abuser takes it personally and they think of them as, you know, well, they're not going to be with me. So they're not going to be with anybody else. And, right. you know, and they make their life hell. Um, and so, you know, it's, you know, our job in that situation is, is just that temporary solution right then and there, you know, to a, a more permanent problem for them. And just to try and intervene and get them to go in the right direction. Exactly. You know, and, you know, the harder that, you know, these states and these communities make it on the police to enforce the laws and the police to do their job um, is just, I think, is going to create more problems, you know, before it gets better. Did you guys so, have, because I know I'm pretty sure it's California, that they said that there's no chokeholds um, in their police department. Is that, did you guys do that? Yes. Yeah. 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 We don't do chokeholds unless it's like a, you know, life or death situation. Like right. if somebody's trying to kill me and that's my only option or avenue, then, right. you know, that's a deadly force situation. So yes, you know, chokeholds are prohibited. Um, unless that is the only means for me to stay alive, essentially. Was that recently that that happened or has that always been? Um, because you know, that, well, we were never, I was never taught chokeholds in the academy. No, no. So that's never been, um, a thing for us here. Um, you know, and, and now it is in our policy that we can't use them, um, within the last several years. Um, but do you, do you, cause I don't know, I feel like a chokehold under the right circumstances could be like the cleanest way to like calm someone down. Sure. And I think it has its place. Because you know? putting someone unconscious in a chokehold, if you're trained in how to do it, obviously, yes. um, is like, like you're totally eliminating that person from being a, a problem um, without really harming them. Yeah. Like when you get choked out, it's not hurting your brain. Like you're just, you're literally just like, well, not extensively at least, but um, you're just going to sleep for a minute, you know? Yeah. And it seems like a really effective way of changing a situation from something really bad to something that's really manageable. I would say, um, I agree with you uh, to an extent, right? Because taking away somebody's air, um, even for just a second could kill them. Um, you know, if not applied properly. Yeah. So, and that's what I meant by yeah. like, so that, you know, is a very dangerous thing to do. Um, but given the right circumstance, if that is the only means of, controlling that situation. Um, I agree with you. I think that, you know, if applied properly, it, it could, um, 
have a good effect. You know, I'll give you an example. We had a guy um, when I was a rookie um, that was on PCP. Um, just had no, no feeling for pain yeah. at all. Nothing. Um, the, we had to deal with him. He was running down the street, um, F not naked, you know, just in his briefs or something. Right. I, I don't remember the exact, you know, it was a long time ago, but it's funny that when you said that, I was like, he's probably naked. Probably. <laughs> um, but he was causing havoc. He was attacking people. You know, he's hopped up on PCP, which is just, you know, one of the worst drugs that you can be on. Um, he has a superhuman strength um, and he, he feels no pain. They beanbagged him. They tried every means of less lethal that they could short of shooting this guy. Right. Um, you know, to take him into custody or to stop what he was doing because that was the alternative, right? He, we're beanbagging him and he's not like, he's laughing at it. Not like, <laughs> yeah, like it's nothing, you know, and, and those are not soft rounds. Those hurt, yeah. you know, and most people don't want to be beanbagged more than one time. Right. And, you know, to get hit several times with no clothing on, like this guy was just, you know, he's out of his mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, short of shooting him, you know, an officer that had that training that had, had done some mixed martial arts stuff, um, uh, because we're fortunate enough to be able to, to have some of that training here, um, was able to, to get the guy, um, into a, a rear naked choke and put him to sleep. And they were able to take him into custody without killing him. Um, and, and got him, you know, arrested and whatever else that they needed, right. um, and off the streets. But yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, there is a time and a place, I think, where it is appropriate um, if given the right circumstances. Um, but I think that those are in very extreme yeah, you know, and, times of circumstances. And I think that that's like the like those are the most crucial moments is when it's that extreme. Yeah. And it's like amazing that whoever was on that call had the foresight to be like, well, we're not going to shoot this guy. Let me try and yeah, just choke him out. I don't know how you go from, I mean, that's pretty amazing to go from beanbagging someone to like being like, all right, I'm going to put my hands on him, you know, instead. Um, but I've heard, and I, I didn't know this and you just talked about it, that you guys have, um, access to like mixed martial arts training and some, some of that. I feel like that, um, Personally, I really want to get into mixed martial arts just for, I think it's really great for calming sure. um, and being able to like be in the moment and like listen to what people are saying and not escalate situations because you're worried. Cause a lot of, a lot of escalation comes from the anxiety of what the other person could do to you. Yeah. Um, and with some sort of training like mixed yeah. martial arts, you'll be more confident in yourself to handle if anything happens so Absolutely. that you can be more calm yeah. in the moment. Um, and so I personally feel like that should be like a requirement, um, for police departments for their police officers to go through. Right. Just to understand like how to do things like a rear naked choke. Um, and like, that's part of the funding that 
I think that the police officers should be more funded personally so that they have access to things like that without having to go out of their own pocket to pay for it. Right. Um, because I think that that's like essential. Like you want a cop that's confident in his abilities, his or her abilities to apprehend a subject, like by any means, you know? And if that means like choke, putting them in a choke, like they should know how to do that. Right. Yeah. I, you know, and we have our defensive tactics, which incorporate some, um, moves, you know, mixed martial arts moves and stuff, ground fighting stuff. Um, you know, but we're fortunate enough here in this town to have, um, places like, um, you know, Greg Jackson and, and, um, the Jackson Winkle John gyms here, you know, where some of the best miss, you know, mixed martial, martial art fighters train at and, and come out of. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have, um, and they are very pro police there, you know, um, they are more than willing to, um, have officers come out and, and take their classes and, and, um, and learn and, and make themselves better, you yeah. know, not only just for, you know, the calming aspect of it and, and, and that stuff, but also to, you know, for that confidence to, mm -hmm. to know, Hey, you know, I don't have to resort to a taser or to the tools on my belt. Like I can handle the situation. If I have to go hands-on, I can handle myself in a fight, if you will, yeah. um, to get this person into to custody. So, um, you know, it, and I know a lot of officers take advantage of that and, and here in our community, at least, and, and, and do some of that and take some of those classes and, and courses. And, um, so it's, um, we're fortunate enough to have that, you know, that's really, that's like, that's so, really good to hear. I really am happy about that. Yeah. That, um, we have access to that because I think that that's like super important. Sure. Just for an officer to be confident in his abilities, his or her abilities. Right. Um, I was wondering, is there any like single moment or maybe a moment or two through your, um, service, that you feel really changed the way that you look at life and how you interact on a daily basis? Um, yes, there is. Um, depends on how deep you want me to go. <laughs> as deep as you want to. <laughs> um, so working in the juvenile section, you know, the, the crimes against children and child exploitation stuff um, has definitely changed my outlook, um, on life. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I had some hardship with some of that stuff and it affected me mentally. Um, and coming out of that now on the other side, um, you know, I look at life a little bit differently and, and try not to take things for granted like I, I used to, Yeah, you know, um, trying to reprioritize things, I guess, you know, for the better. So making sure that, you know, my kids are taken care of, my family's taken care of and, um, you know, above everything else. So was there yeah. like, is it just an accumulation of working in that sector that brought that to you or that were there, was there like a specific moment where you were like, damn, yeah. Um, you know, because I suffered with some depression and, and PTSD stuff from, um, from that. Mm -hmm. So, 
um, you know, coming um, from an environment where depression, PTSD, um, being seen as weak, um, you know, is kind of a stigma, you know, um, being able to ask for help when I need it, setting boundaries, um, you know, it was a hard thing to do sometimes, um, especially, you know, with kind of a type A personality, like, oh, I'm strong enough. Like mm -hmm. police officers are very good at compartmentalizing things and, and putting things in boxes and, you know, and shoving them down and not having to deal with them. But at some point, you know, over the course of my career and, and seeing the things that I've seen, you know, uh, and a lot of horrible trauma to people um, and kids, you know, it, it becomes enough. Like my boxes were full. I couldn't pack anything more in them. And, um, you know, and it got to a point where it was almost too much, you know, mm -hmm. um, to handle. And, um, you know, and I got really depressed before I really knew how bad it was. Um, so it kind of snuck up on me and, and then the, the other factors of the PTSD stuff that came in, um, were definitely hard, um, to deal with, to go, I, I can't do that anymore. Right. You know? Um, and so now on the other side of it and, and obviously trying to manage my depression and, and get better and, and, you know, not only for myself, but for my family and kids and, um, you know, my outlook on life is, you know, trying to look forward and, and what, what can I do to be a better father for them and a better husband and, um, and a better person. Um, you know, not that I wasn't a good person, but right. just in general, you know, um, to live my life and be happy. So absolutely. You know, I think that was probably the biggest thing for me, um, you know, outside of my shooting, um, that, you know, probably affected me the most on this department. Right. I can imagine. Um, like I said earlier is like when I heard that that's what you worked in, I was like, that has got to be just like the worst. Sure. Like one of the worst jobs to be in. Yeah. Especially as a father, like to have to face these things every day and then go home to your family and be like, all right, go to school, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's uh, that's a heavy note to end on, and a lot of stuff that you do is heavy, so it's a good note to end on, I guess. But yeah. um, thank you for coming out and talking with me on my podcast. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of really interesting insights into that, and I'm, I'm sure there's many more. But um, thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem.